Welcome back to the Church in Your Head podcast, the podcast that helps you escape the church in your head or someone else's head. I'm your host, mm. Brandon, and with me, my co-host, Scott. Well, welcome. We're back. Welcome. welcome to me. Welcome to you. Yes, it's been a while. I'm glad to be uh, discussing and back on the train. Yeah, man. No, I'm, I'm excited. I think we've had some good uh, engagement on Twitter. Uh, we've had yeah, some, uh, some, some challenges. You know, those who've kind of seen those out there who kind of... Uh, you know, challenging uh, some of our ideas. We've tried to respond the best we can, you know, to make sure that, you know, we're giving everyone still an objective basis to go. I, I mean, I, I think, think yeah. Twitter, Twitter brings out, not to say everybody's uh, cruel and, and like prideful, but it does bring out this like uh, feistiness in folks, especially when you do propose a very generic question that is sometimes abstract or the, the person kind of reading your uh, quote, um, feels a little bit, uh, I'd not say attacked, but um, challenged. And it's almost like, that's. I'd love to have a talk about how do you have a dialogue on Twitter that is like informative and um, valuable and beneficial to for both parties. Um, and maybe it is a Twitter space. Maybe that's what opens that up. But gosh, it can get, it can get hostile quick um, when you can post right. things. Well, because everybody's trying to guard their viewpoint, right? I mean, right. it's like the idea of us wanting to, someone to give us objective justification for their viewpoint, uh, you know, can be like, oh, oh, what do you mean? I mean, because, you know, we've had subjective like, justification. It's my yeah. subjective yeah. Sub justification. It's what I can justify. <laughs> right, right. I think we've even heard someone say, well, you know, you haven't read you know, any of these books. So, you know, who are you to, to make any statements? So it's, a, it's interesting, like the things you get pushed back on. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter how many books somebody reads. They're still allowed to ask questions, right? right. So it's like, you, you know, that's the, the, the whole point of doing this podcast is we're not claiming to, uh, to have all the knowledge in the world. Uh, but everything we've studied and everything we have learned, we're here to help you understand, well, is there actually an objective Christianity, a claim that you, we can actually say, I can justify this claim and, and I can basically back it up uh, versus it, it, just yeah. being something clear in scripture. Backing and it I up think, provides yeah. that piece too. I mean, that's, that's also the thing about it. I mean, growing up in the church, there's certain times where when you start to kind of see the other uh, viewpoints or worldviews, um, then you start to see like some of these things look very uh, um, intimidating. And then you start to question and your own, like, am I even in and under the right church? And um, I've been down that spiral and, or a spiral down that, I guess, path. And it becomes um, almost frustrating and confusing. And, and the almost, I can see how people get bitter towards God too, right? Um, when, when they find out that maybe they, that God didn't reveal everything to them, but then they start to see the world of argumentation around different theological ideologies. And, and so you're trying your best to navigate that. And, and so then it becomes back to what we talked about in the beginning. It becomes scholarly at that point. And you're just, you're, you're merely at, at the, I don't know, you succumb to those who are the most, uh, witty and intelligent around theology and sometimes they're they're very uh, good at um, what was it the 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 books that would help you interpret like scripture like what do we call them like Matthew Henry we used to do this too oh the commentaries uh, yeah the commentators like that right. world is is crazy because you get into the commentators and you're like okay this is cool they break down every verse and you realize there's thousands of them and they all have different viewpoints it's like okay this isn't as easy as I thought it was right right and that's the thing because it's so easy to go to a, a smart theologian. Uh, you know, you know, just to try to say, well, this person says this though. I mean, don't you understand that they said it? And it's like, well, I get it, but it's like 
you can't just pick one person and then that just solves it. It's like the church came together. They didn't just go to one person and say, hey, Augustine, what do you think? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. He mm. thinks this. Okay, cool. Augustine said it, so it must all be but true. But Brandon, yeah. John Piper said it, so I, it should I be know. true. Man, it's, you're right. I mean, John Piper, I mean, you know, I'm, we're not attacking him, but it's no. like at the same time, you should be able to question what John Piper says. You should be able to question what Augustine says, a pope says, anybody who's, you know, where, where, we, where we try to single out one person and we say they know it all. I mean, that's real dangerous. Yeah. That's why the church came together. The bishops came together and to work this stuff out. And that's the thing where, what is the option? What do we do? Do we say the bishops came together to have a glorified Bible study? Or is this Christ's divine institution that he set up by the apostles, you know, giving them authority, who then in turn gave authority to people that they had laid hands on, and then through history, even before the first ecumenical council, they're getting together in local councils and dealing with heresies. Mm-hmm. And is it because there is is that a divine institution? Did Christ set up a divine institution for us that we can look outside of ourselves, not just to all the scholars, not to all these specific commentators or this great theologian, but to the church, the concealer mind of the church, to deal with issues where we have 15 different commentaries on of which one do we pick. And I think that's where we ground our truth claim, not in our minds, not in a specific theologian's mind, but in the mind of the conciliar church. This is where we have objectivity. Yeah, And I think that's yeah. hard though, because we automatically think, does that mean it's Roman Catholicism? Does you know, it's like, no, no. And we even commented to somebody who reached out asking us, if we was it, do you want us to just go under the Pope? It's like, no, we don't believe the church is in the Pope's head. That's not this podcast. You can find a lot of podcasts who do believe that. But no, no, we, we believe in the conciliar mind of the church. This is where you ground your truth claim, uh, which is obviously revealed and clarified in the councils, the ecumenical councils. Uh, so, yeah, and that's kind of leads to what we're talking about today and it, the idea of synergy or synergism. So <clears throat> synergism is, you know, often kind of looked at as a works-based righteousness because as soon as anybody uh, hears the word, there's some synergy with salvation, with God, immediately they think, okay, so you're saying something that you have to do to contribute towards your salvation, whether it's a one and done event, once saved, always saved, they still don't like it. Or salvation is a process, and still they don't like it because it's it's contingent on you uh, doing some X amount of work. And oftentimes, and I used to do this, you relate it to like a Mormon type of a theology where they are very much, they, they I would believe they would call themselves synergists. Um, you know, half us, half God. God takes up the most, and, and we do as much as we can. And then I would always push back, well, how do you know you're doing as much as you can? Uh, well, we just try our best, and then God takes the rest over. Okay, well, what's your best? You know, you go down this logical trail and eventually you try to stump them on like, well, you never really know how much good you're doing. Uh, therefore, just give it up. Um, but what? How, let's explain what synergism is. I guess talk to me a little bit more about synergism, what, how it is misinterpreted. And then we should talk about what synergism is in the right context, and namely the historical church and how they, they taught unanimously uh, that synergy is um, orthodoxy and and monergism is heterodoxy or heresy even. Well, yeah, it goes back to the incarnation, right? Because 
it goes back to what is Jesus assuming when he assumes our human nature? And the councils are dealing with these, these various issues as, you know, people bring up, you know, like Apollinarius, we talked about him, how, you know, he essentially believed that, you know, Christ, you know, pretty much replaced the human mind, the soul, the, the rational faculties, uh, pretty much that was replaced at the incarnation, right? So the, the councils deal with that and say, no, sorry, that is not, that is not the faith, right? They clarify for us. They say, so if you start interpreting these verses this way and you think, oh, well, yeah, I don't think Jesus had actual human mind, we, we can put that in check. Well, with uh, the will and then when synergy, the councils affirmed and went against the monothelites who believe that when Christ assumed a human nature, he replaced the human will. So Christ didn't have a natural human energy, according to the monothelites. He didn't have a will that was, you know, a human like you will, and me. like you and like, me. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, he, he wouldn't have one. So that makes it very, very hard when it comes to us cooperating or our will even being able to be healed because, you know, Christ assuming our human nature, he's assuming it to heal it. So if he doesn't assume our will, then how would we cooperate at all with the spirit? You know, it's pretty much left kind of on its own, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's which as you hear in some, uh, you know, uh, you know, branches of Protestantism, the will is looked at as kind of like this, it's it's like a rebellious it almost, right? It's more in the classical reformers, uh, you know, in other denominations who tend to be more Arminian, they will, you know, see the will, free will as, oh yeah, we all have free will. Uh, but, you know, that can be problematic in the fact that when there's no Eucharist, uh, it kind of just tends to be very moralistic. You know, you hear the 40 minute sermon and then you choose to be good. But when it comes to the classical reformers who did have the Eucharist, um, the synergy becomes kind of tainted per se, because the, the extreme view of human nature becoming so depraved, so sinful that the, the, the will almost kind of becomes its own rebellious, like, hypostasis almost or yeah yeah like it, it kind of has its own mind and mm-hmm. it's like you're constantly battling your rebellious will so instead of you choosing to do evil uh essentially it's like it's almost like the will could be the one causing you to choose to do evil and that's the hard part when it comes to cooperation with God, because it's like, okay, you know, I, I remember when I was pretty hardcore Lutheran and, and I was told a lot of times that, that, oh yeah, well, you know, as still as, as Christians, we're still, we're still sinning. I mean, come on, read Romans seven, you know, and even I was reading Calvin today in some of the institutes and he was, in, he took the same interpretation, uh, you know, as uh, the Lutherans do where he said, yeah, Romans seven, that is a Christian. Okay. When Paul is going through and saying, look, you know, though I want to do good, you know, I'm still essentially I'm still sinning. You know, you you can you can pull it up there. Um, But that's that's the problem, though, is that when we interpret these scriptures apart from the incarnation, this is where we get in trouble. This is where we, we get, you know, problematic because it's like we're basing our interpretation on what so and so says, so and so's specific mind instead of the mind of the church. And when we see when you see the councils affirm that Christ had a human will, and, well, and going the, back the, going yeah. back to the monotheites, you know they they replace this because we all agree that the will we can choose you know that which isn't good um, or what is good you know because God created us in His image and likeness, so He didn't create us to do 
that which isn't good. That's, that's the will that chooses to do this. Or we operate, as you will. We'll get to this interesting analogy um, in the weight room or indoor driving the car. But the idea of how the monotheites kind of looked at this is, okay, our will, quote unquote, has fallen. And so Christ, when he came, he kind of replaced it with a divine will. And what makes that problematic is when you go back to the incarnation, like Gregory of, of Nazianzus says, that which wasn't assumed has not been healed. So if we all have our will, all of us do, we operate in which we can will good and or evil. Christ had to assume that same will. It's not like he could pick and choose which parts of us that he wanted to assume, right? Then the incarnation wouldn't be full and complete. It would be half, it would be halfway done. And again, it has not been healed. So there, there's an element of where we have to remind ourselves that Christ didn't change the will. Now, he was perfect in doing in such a, an obedience to the Father that he willingly went to the cross in a way where he was he accomplished all that we couldn't do. And then, you know, there's there's this idea of where because he did that and because of the resurrection, now we go back to the will and the will isn't just immediately damned all the time. And I think we should talk about this a minute because I, I had this idea that we're always sinning. Like no matter if I will good, even the willingness to do the good somehow had sin involved, whether it be my heart was in the wrong place to do the good work, or I don't know, you, you start, you're almost like peeling back so many layers to like, okay, this is a good work, but I got to find a way to make it a not a good work because that might make it me to be, I'm doing something. Um, so let me figure out where I did, I fell short. It's almost like you're picking yourself apart and you're critiquing yourself to the point where you can identify a sin that really at the end of the day, wasn't there. You're just, you're just you're almost like you're afraid to accept that you can actually do good with God. So let's, let's talk about like the idea of you and God, because right now it's the concept of you and God is really, you're a man, you're finite and God is infinite and divine. And, and it's really a 50, 50 when they hear the idea of synergism, you doing anything that's heretical, that's self-righteous and that's workspace. Like it's dismissed quite quickly. Um, how would we kind of explain what we're talking about with I'm doing something with God and then we can actually share some scripture that talks about cooperation, et cetera. Yeah. I think the biggest thing comes down to whose power is ultimately, you know, who gets the, the glory for the power of doing the works. Uh, you know, the idea that when Christ assumed human nature, our human nature, he deified his natural human will with its deifying energies, right? So he goes and he deifies those energies to freely cooperate with the divine will. Okay, so so now what happens after, uh, you know, he, he's resurrected, you know, the Holy Spirit comes down, uh, the, the church is set up, you know, a church outside of us. You know, the apostles go and they lay their hands on the bishops. The church is set up, but what is the key uh, part of the church's job? It's word and sacrament. Okay, so so when the, when the bishops and the priests are going up there and, and and they're 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 praying over the elements, the liturgy, the divine liturgy, and what are they doing? They're asking for the Holy Spirit to come down and energize the bread and the wine, deifying the elements, right? So keep in mind, keep keep this understanding of energy. Okay, then what happens? We go up to receive the body and blood of Christ. To then what? What is what's the big deal? Why do I need to receive it? Because so your human nature becomes deified by his energies. Very similar, doesn't it sound like, to the incarnation? 
And in, in, in doing so, keep in mind, his energy, his power gives your will the ability, the ability, let's just emphasize that, the to strength. cooperate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The strength. So here's, here's one. I, I like this uh, the analogy of the weight room. Uh, salvation would equal the weight. Okay? Faith equals the muscle that lifts the weight. The Holy Spirit is the energy that enables us to lift the weight. And the good works are the utilization of the muscle by the Spirit to lift the weight. Or, so you in might other to- words, a, a participation with the Holy Spirit to lift. Because the, the concept of, of monergism or just, you know, Christ and, or God does everything, almost like a, a um, controls and overpowers your will, would be akin to I sit and lay down at the bench press and, and the Holy Spirit just lifts it. And my, I'm just kind of like a jello. And I'm just kind of hanging on, right? Hanging on. And it, it, there's really no like participation at all. You're just simply like kind of robotic and being told what to do. It's like, all right, Brandon, today you're going to lift 185 pounds. I want you to lay there, stick your hand on the bar. I'll do the rest. So you're not getting any strength at all. You're just kind of just going with the flow and, and being told what to do. That's just one-sided. And that, that I think that's the kind of the concept that you're explaining is there's got especially with scripture. I know we don't want to just make this around like it's all solo scripture. Obviously the, the councils, they had scripture, right? Everything wasn't formulated, the canons, but they, they, the liturgy and everything like that was read using tons and tons of scripture. And so we do see many, many instances in scripture around synergy, you know, particularly in second Corinthians, I have it right here, where it says we're workers together with God. Um, and then there's uh, in Philippians, it talks about working out our own salvation. We know that's one half. That's us. For it is God who works in you. Now, there's God. So this this kind of harmony, if you will, or what you use, energies, um, which it is very biblical. If people get nervous around the word energy. It's what is it, energeia. Paul uses a ton of that in New Testament. Just go look up the word energeia and see how many times he uses it. That's what we're referring to. It's the energies, the energeia of God or in this case, the Holy Spirit enabling you to lift. But what's the key concept here is God is 100% involved and you are 100% involved. How would you kind of elaborate on that? Because I love the 100% God, 100% you analogy. Well, yeah, I mean, the see, we as persons operate our wills, right? So if you get in a car and you sit there, okay, and, and, and you put your hands on the steering wheel, now, the steering wheel isn't part of you, you, the person driving, but it is part of the car. Think about it like with human nature. Your will is not a part, a property of person. It is not, you know, when you get out of the car, the wheel, the, the wheel of the car isn't attached to you, the steering wheel. No, you get in the car, you put your hands on the wheel, and let's just analogize, the wheel would be analogous to our human will, and we are the ones operating it. So we choose basically either to go to vice or to go to virtue. And here's the thing about energy. Now, what about the wicked? Okay, the wicked are being energized. Their passions are being energized by the world. Think about what you see on TV every day. What is it showing you? It's all about you. It's all about pride. It's all about more, 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 get more stuff, lust of the eyes. It's all about lust of the flesh. Oh, look at look at this. Look at this picture of this person, this person. It's it's so, oh, you know, that's, that's hot. I want, I want to look at more. What do you think that's doing? That's energizing those passions of you that are natural, like, you know, like a sexual desire. Uh, that's, that's a good desire, but what is happening? The devil's energizing that passion to get you to fall into sin and to lust. Okay. Now 
Think about the opposite way, okay? And obviously, you can go through a bunch of other sins. I mean, you talk about the sins, the seven deadly sins, okay? What about gluttony? Is the desire to eat a sin? No. no. But when the devil stirs it up, right? He shows that big burger on the screen, right? They zoom in. It's like, is, is it bad to want to eat a cheeseburger? No. But what does the devil want? He wants you to overeat, overconsume, right? It's like all these different seven deadly sins. The devil is energizing your passions toward them on a regular basis. Okay, this is this is uh, so important to understand because in the Holy Spirit now, through the Eucharist, energizes your human nature to be able to resist the devil when these passions are stirred up. And we're not I, saying passions yeah. are bad either. These desires no. are, are, are all good. No. So no, this, but when the yeah. devil comes to you and he's trying to get you to to sin and entice you and to energize your passions into an to evil, and now the evil part is you, the person. It's not your human nature doing it. It's mm-hmm. you, the person. When you drive by and you see a billboard and you're like, oh, wow, oh, look at that. And then you start veering off the road. Guess who's veering off the road? You, the person. So the it's car's not the not wheel's veering off the road. fault. It's not, it's the, not the wheel's fault. fault. It's not the wheel's fault. That's where we get everything wrong. This is where we start to go into heresy and we throw everything off. No, when you're, when you're ste- steering the wheel, you are the one, uh, the person operating it. We are the ones operating our human wills. Now, apart from the church, this is where the church is so important. Why do I need the Eucharist? Because the Eucharist is where deification takes place, where we are deified by Christ's uh, body and blood. Okay, this is so important. This is why we can't be in the church in our head. This is why we can't stay home from church. No, we need to go to the church. We need to go find a bishop, get under a bishop who's holding to the ecumenical councils and, and, and holding strong. And guess what? There's faithful bishops out there. Yes, during Arius' time, there was a lot of, of um, no, Athanasius' time, there was a lot of Arian bishops still, even after Nicaea. But guess what? There were still faithful bishops. And there are still faithful bishops out there. And we're encouraging you to go because this heresy of monotheletism that was condemned at the Sixth Council is hurting you. If you if you subscribe to it, if people have convinced you that your will is like the evil problem, it's your, that's the problem. It's not you, the person. Well, you're deceived then. You're being deceived. No, the seven deadly sins, you, the person, are committing them. You're choosing to be prideful instead of praying, right? You're choosing to be the glutton. It's not your human nature. You are the one choosing these deadly sins, right? You're choosing sloth. You can't go, oh, it's my human nature. No, you are the one choosing. You're choosing to go to these virtues or vice. Now, God obviously draws us to the virtues through his grace and mercy, through his deification, we're drawn to the opposite of the seven deadly sins. You know, what's the opposite of pride? You know, humility, right? The opposite of sloth, obviously diligence, right? Working hard, right? What's the opposite of gluttony? Well, it'd be temperance, right? Self-control. So when you, when you understand the liturgy and the life of the church is to lead you into the denial of self, that is leading you toward virtue. But when you get caught up in these heresies, when you don't line up what Calvin or Luther or any specific person that you want to hold to, you don't line it up with the ecumenical councils, you are being constantly being hurt by these heresies. And you're missing out on loving your neighbor the best you can. Because all of us out there, we would all agree, I want to love my neighbor, my, my wife, my kids, um, my husband, whoever. Like You want to love them the best of your ability. But you can't do it apart from the church. You can't do it with the church in your head either. So it's like, this is why we do this podcast, so that you would tap into the life of the church. Yeah, you can't do it alone. 
And so right. this is this is the idea of like why the Eucharist is so important, and and it isn't just a, a something you think about because we've talked about this before. If, if the Eucharist was nothing, if there was no deification, uh, because we we'd admit we just admitted that the energies are real because our passions get energized by Satan all the time. That is an energizing of your your passions, and then your will is to choose whether you want to in, indulge in those desires that are meant for good. But now you're they're they're stirring it up to evil. But if you're just looking at the the communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever they're going to call it in that church, if that's just merely symbolic or, or really doesn't mean much, then you don't necessarily even need to go to church. The church becomes more of an intellectual seminary school in which you're kind of learning really good things. I mean, obviously learning about Christ, we, we don't want to negate the fact that faith comes through hearing. So certainly it's important to know that just because, you know, I've, I've heard somebody say like, what if somebody doesn't believe the Eucharist is, is deifying you and they just believe it symbolically? What about when the pastor preaches gospel? You know, we can't get away from the fact that, yes, faith comes through here and it does it, it in some ways it does energize you um, because hearing the gospel, hearing you're forgiven as a response to that, the true gospel and the true forgiveness, then there is a, a motivation for good works. Right. What we're trying to get to is how do you do those good works? Because if, if good works are always inevitably attached to sin because you're always sinning, then you're, you're kind of doing this endless cycle where you really don't have any ability to do anything good. And so all these, all this cooperation nonsense and this participatory stuff that you hear about Paul talking about, and, and this, this like holding and, and walking alongside and, and, you know, all of that is just nonsensical because in your head, you're like, oh, well, I can't really do it. I don't know why Paul's telling me I'm supposed to cooperate. Shouldn't he know I'm going to fall within an hour? And that might be true. You may fall into sin, but what we're saying is there is a way to strengthen and be strengthened to resist doesn't mean it's going to be bulletproof, but just, just as I was talking to a guy at the gym the other day and, and we got into this conversation a little bit, I said, you know, there's moments in life where you're going to need your legs, um, where, you know, the strength of your legs to do something, it could be extreme where like you're trying to lift something up cause it's on top of somebody. And if they don't get it lifted up, this person might become more injured or die. You know, you've heard some of those crazy, you know, stories around that. Um, or by pulling something or lifting for, you know, something really heavy as you're moving your buddy's house. If you don't do any leg workout or any of that, you're, you're only going to be limited on what you could do. And most of the time you're going to fail and you're going to fall and you're not going to be able to lift up uh, the, the couch or in this, this extreme scenario, lift up something heavy that's harming somebody. You know, putting in the work is is necessary, but we know you're reaping the benefits to go when that moment comes to say, hey, it's time to use your legs. You have been trained for it because Paul uses the word training, right? We've talked about that. There's this form of like exercising language in scripture that talks about preparing, preparation, training, uh, preparing your body, fighting, running the race. All of these things are, are, are a way for you to do something. And if you're stuck in just always sinning, then how do I ever prepare and train for something that I just am convincing myself that I'm only going to fail? I'm never going to win the race. I'm never going to lift anything up. So I hope somebody for the love of God just does it for me. And that's monergism. Sure. I'm yeah. done with it. Mr. God, you do it all. I'll just sit here on my couch and not do anything. And I'm going to ignore all the, the areas in which scripture encourages us to participate with Christ. And so we're trying to make it as a, a emphasis that we actually can do good works. Scripture is clear on that. There is good works. It comes from the gospel, but what gets energized and gives you the ability to even do those good works has to be the Eucharist because the Eucharist was celebrated and used 
in the first thousand years of the church before it kind of got watered down and turned into this more symbolic gesture that the, you know we would see a lot of this in the 1600s, 1700s that really work itself out to where you know now you have this kind of uh, higher critical theory or you know about what you believe to be true in scripture and it's no longer any authoritative is resting on the councils it's now back on you so when we say Calvin Luther um, Aaron, I mean, all these people I, we don't just pick on Calvin Luther there's a lot more right we have a lot of yeah. founders of churches the point is we're not saying look to that one guy and how he interprets what it should be is the way it goes we're saying the conciliar mind of the church gives us the ability to have certitude on what is to believe. That's the entire epistemology on, on what we hold fast to objectively. And it's just, you know, it's something about knowing that I can do something with Christ. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but it's not a matter of how much am I doing? You just got to do something. Do you think people are just more timid to just do anything? So hearing the word synergy, just they kind of go towards the, ah, that's workspace. But really what they're saying in their head is they're justifying a way to not do it. <laughs> They're like, I just don't want to do it. So I'm going well, to yeah. say that's workspace. Therefore, I'm going to sit back on my couch. Yeah. Well, when the scriptures are twisted in this case, where James is pitted against Paul, where, you know, it's happens like, okay, yeah. It, it, what happens is, yeah, it's like, we just, we miss out on uh, how scripture actually James and John, I'm sorry, James and Paul actually uh, go together real nicely. Because when you understand synergy as in it is 100% God, 100% you. It is through uh, Christ's energies, by the way. The Holy Spirit, sorry, is, is deifying energy. His energy. So when you say, oh, well, well, you're, 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 it's, it's by your works. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. It's his energy. It, it, what do you mean mine? Yeah, obviously I am choosing to cooperate, but whose power is it who's giving us the power to do it? Think of it like an Iron Man suit. I liked the Tony Stark analogy. Tony Stark without the Iron Man suit, he's very weak. But when if if he gets an Iron Man suit on, wow! All that capability, all that you know, more you know, obviously much more powerful. It's thinking about with with Christ, what he does, you know, when he offers us the Eucharist. Hey, this is this is this is the way to be powered up. This is the way if you want to resist the devil. When it says resist the devil and he will flee from you, well, you can with his deifying energies. You can do that. You can truly participate. And this is that's the amazing part about it. In the end of the day, when we see that we resisted, we don't go, oh, look at how amazing I am. No, no. We understand that we're, we're operating by his power. And when the church uh, invites us to pray every day, right? Morning, evening prayer. Okay? We can be prideful or we can pray, right? I mean, that's really, that's kind of how it is every day. It's like, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't need God today. I'm not going to pray. No, no, no. The church is like morning, evening prayer. And even do noon prayer sometimes, right? So it's like there's it, the, the participation is, yes, on us to maintain through our cooperation of, am I going to pray by me choosing by my will to pray or not? Am I going to choose by my will to fast or not? No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm just going to overindulge. See, I'm not going to build self-control through fasting. And I'm going to, and, yeah. And more importantly, you can't blame your flesh if you choose not to fast or you choose not to pray. You know, it's just my sin, or uh, more importantly, your nature, I should say. Well, it's just my yeah. nature telling me to do it as if your nature is a separate person with its own hypostasis. And so now you're at war with this other person in you. And I think that is a, it's a whole separate conversation uh, for another podcast around nature and person and how they have to be distinct. If, if they're all one, 
then like, uh, what is it? John Damascus says that confusion in nature person is the result of all heresies or leads to all heresies. And right. that idea needs to, to be flushed out. But I was just thinking about this too. You know, when we go back to the incarnate incarnation and how Christ had to assume all, assume all of us, everything about us, you know, there's no pushback around. Let's talk about the mind, right? Christ assumed our mind, right? Because he grew in wisdom and stature. So we know that his mind would continue to get more and more knowledgeable um, and became more wise, etc. And so because of that, when he resurrected, we now have the mind to be capable of, of kind of learning like Christ and walking like him. And we can certainly say the mind, well, the set on the flesh is hostile towards God. And the mind can think dirty thoughts or, or get angry. All these things are very true. But in a form of deification, I would say, how do you renew the mind? Through reading the scriptures, to feeding off of Christ, you know, with hearing of his uh, preaching of the word and the gospel of forgiveness of sins. That is always, I think that's something that is not really, uh, I guess, contested. Because we say, yes, the mind, we get it, it's fallen, but because Christ resurrected and because of the incarnation, our mind now is capable of operating and thinking the thoughts of Christ. And it doesn't always do it. And so the, the solution is in this scenario, go to the scriptures, hear the word, and it's a renewing of the mind is what we, I think it's in um, Romans, I believe I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying now with the will is the will also had to be fully assumed. Uh, if the will was just replaced by the divine will so Christ can perfectly do everything, then our will is basically screwed because then at that point, our will hasn't been deified. There's no capable way of us doing anything good. It'd be like if Christ came down and didn't assume our minds too, right? What if, what if somebody mm -hmm. said Christ assumed a divine mind? And so our minds are still the mushy three pounds, incapable of doing anything, there also would be a, a no remedies for the mind because you wouldn't always just naturally just think, thoughts that were opposite of what God's uh, intentions are for you and how you ought to think about things. And we would say, certainly that's heresy. Like Christ assumed our actual mind because he who became sin, right? He became the person, all of us humbled himself. I mean, these are things where we know that Christ has given us the ability to have the thought patterns and process to, to pursue the word knowingly that we need these things, as Paul says, to feed on scripture, like, like the babies need milk. You know, we, we recognize that. So when we talk about the will, the will also had to be uh, assumed by Christ, the same will that we, you and I have. And if he didn't assume it, then there is no remedy. Your will really, then it does become, well, you're always going to be willing to sin. You have no choice. You're a robot. And then you have to accept kind of the, the hyper Calvinistic, I guess, theology around just God just overtakes your will, right? It's in one of the two looks. Yeah, um, yeah, like no say that, right? You're yeah. in a movie and you're an actor, but you have no ability to do anything, and he's just going to write your script, and you got to follow suit. And I, I've met people who talk about that. I even heard a guy say, "If God's script for me is is to be the reprobate, to to be damned, then I have to accept that." I remember when I heard that, I was like, "Wow!" Like you have no assurance. That, that's the bad theology. That, that's when we talk about doctrine of demons. My gosh, like that is what will yeah. destroy someone's joy at, at, for one and the ability to do anything at that point because they're just kind of incapable of it because they accept that God does everything and I'm just kind of an actor. Tell me what to do next. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the problem when you make the car self-driving. You know, essentially, that's what we're do what, what we're doing there. When, when it's the will who's causing me to sin, it's not me, the person in control of the car. I get in the car and it's like, I can't control it. The car, the car keeps going its own way. And, but guess what? When the police officer stops you, he doesn't say, I'm going to have to cite your car for driving <laughs> too fast. No, you know, he cites you 
And I think that's the problem is that I think this doctrine of demons per se of the monothelites moves the responsibility away from you, the person. That's good. And, and that's the, that's the problem is that when you go to confession, you're not saying, uh, yeah, my will caused me to sin. No, the priest ain't going to accept that. No, it's like, forgive me, father, for I have sinned. It's me, the person, you know, and, and that's the whole thing. When Christ was, was uh, in the garden of Gethsemane and where we see his human will in action, where he says, not my will, but your will be done. How do you think you can say that to God today? You think you can just read the Bible and go, oh, okay, God, now your will be done. No, he empowers your will through the church, through the Eucharist, not just the Eucharist. Confession is necessary. All of these aspects of the church, you know, uh, you know like Lent is coming up, right? So, we, we, you know, encouraging denial of self even more a season, right? Where we, where we can like, you know, really, you know, step up our, our repentance and, uh, d- and the denial of self to grow in more virtue, but that takes our cooperation. I mean, Lent is, a, we should bring, we should have some good stuff on, on Lent. You know, we yeah, talked about that, about kind of like, this is the time to really bulk up spiritually. Uh, but, but it's, yeah, it's so important. I mean, when, when you think about the, the non-sacramental Protestant churches, it's sad because everything's kind of been relocated, uh, to the mind, right? Everything is the mind. Which right? It's like, yeah, it's like you go to the mind. Okay, now hopefully I've given you a good enough sermon. Now go out there and, and, and you know, be a good Christian, right? And, and then, but then you get to the classical reformation. You're like, well, I have a Eucharist, but my human nature has been, I've been told it's so bad that it, it, it literally, it, it, it's the one, like, it's my will is rebellious. Like, well, wait, aren't, aren't you rebellious? It's like, aren't you the one who overate? Aren't you the one who was prideful? Aren't you the one uh, who exploded in wrath? It's like, well, it was my will. My will's rebellious. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And it will not help you in understanding our cooperation with God. And we can truly say, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the empowerment to do the God's will, to be synergized, our will, to be deified, energized, synergized with the divine will. And when we understand that, we get out of the church in our head or out of the church in so-and-so's head, and we go to the church that Christ established, who gives us, when you know Scott said earlier, it's clear in scripture, we can say it's clear in scripture. We have an objective basis to say that monothelitism is a heresy and synergy is truth because it was the church who interpreted it that way, not me and Scott. Me and Scott didn't interpret it that way. That's the church's interpretation. One person, you know, pushed back on me and said, well, you know, I said, well, how do you know if, if the uh, if the ecumenical councils, uh, or I said, did the ecumenical councils have authority to interpret the scriptures? And, and you know, and, and we, we went back and forth and and they said, well, well, that's not the, uh, you know, objective meaning, you know, it's like they, they, you know, and they talked about the objective meaning. I'm like, what's the difference between the objective meaning of scripture and the interpretation of scripture? The council's affirmed the objective meaning because they had access to the mind of God, not me. I don't have that. Okay. The church is a divine institution. And that's a pretty bold claim. You're like, well, how do they have access to the mind of God? Because that's the only way we could actually have an objective claim. If we say they're just a glorified Bible study with no access to the mind of God, we all are stuck in our opinions. That's it. Monothelitism is just an opinion. Yeah. So they were just giving their opinion that monothelitism is wrong, but it's not. Because when you, when, as you've listened to this podcast, when we worked it out for you to show you through logic, see, that's the other thing we talked about, right? Scripture, tradition, and reason, right? You bring these three together. Does everything line up? You can't just say, well, I see it in scripture and this church father said it. So that means it's true. 
Oh, what about logic? Can't see logic, but you can ask questions, right? How do we know that's an objective truth claim? And that's where we're trying to get everyone to understand. Okay. You can go into a lot deeper stuff with the councils. We're trying to give you the simplest way to understand an objective truth claim. And it doesn't start with what you see in scripture. Yeah. And so the next time, those of you who are going to church this Sunday, uh, especially those that are in these um, higher liturgical services, I mean, I I give credit to those that do take seriously the Eucharist. I think that's step one, right? Um, The ones that just don't see it as anything more than just something in your head. That's tough. Um, it really is because it goes against what the, the church established around what the Eucharist was, what the the body and blood of Christ was and how it is a means of grace and for your forgiveness. But when you take it and then the question might come to your head as you drive home, like, OK, if this theosis, this deification, this synergy thing is, is actually real, how do I know now what to do in terms of the quote unquote good works? And my response to that is just start doing anything and get the works out of your head. Don't think about it because your good works are for your neighbor. They're not meant for you to, to, to reflect. You don't put up a list of things that you, okay, I'm going to start doing this. And then as soon as you start putting up a list and you start acknowledging what you need to do, that's when the focus goes back on you. And then it becomes, I'm doing everything. And then God is there to kind of meet me halfway. Then you've turned it into more of a Mormonistic kind of concept of what works is. And then it does become workspace. So what we're saying is just be, 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 I guess, fulfilled in the Eucharist as it energizes you so when you go walk in the journey starting Monday or even Sunday evening and the temptations start coming at you, that you can feel confident and with strength that I'm going to just start doing the good works that God created for me. And I may not even see them. I'm just going to do it because it's 100% God and it's 100% me. And I don't have to ever worry about, am I doing enough? Just just know that if you ever get to the point where am I doing enough, then you're not looking at what true synergy really looks like and what true deification really offers that's that's what we want to hopefully bring some light on and we'll certainly elaborate this on future shows but hopefully this is a good high level overview of why synergy isn't heretical why synergy actually was established as sound doctrine uh in the councils and you can go back and look at it go we talked about monotheolites and um am i, am I saying that i say monotheal monotheolites right? i've heard monotheolites, yeah monotheolites, monotheolites uh, but they were condemned i mean at the end of the day they were, they were told, no, you're wrong. Sorry. And how it's been regurgitated and kind of brought back to life in some of these modern day churches and their theologies. Um, and we don't want to just pick on you know once in specific because there's others that also hold firm to that. But we just want you to show that the idea of you are incapable of doing anything and your will is always going to sin. The logical conclusions could lead to a couple of things. One, meaning that I, I don't want to do anything. We call that antinomianism. Like I just, I'm, I'm scared to do anything, so I'm going to sit back. The other one means that you're 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 not capable of doing anything because you know you're going to sin. Um, so, but when you even attempt to do anything, you're going to find a way that it exposes that that good work is actually sinful. That's what I used to do. So, if anything was good that was coming from me, I would find a way and justify. Well, actually, it really wasn't that good because I'm sure somewhere along the good work. I I had a sinful inclination or something like that. Like you're just ripping yourself and peeling yourself apart till you can find something to to kind of explain that that really wasn't anything good because you're afraid to call it good. And really, aren't you kind of pushing back and saying, "No, God, there is no good works you created for me. It's it's good works that that uh, or it's good works that you have that you're just going to control me to do." And that becomes more of this, like yeah, like this robotic. Uh, form i know we kind of got off on tangent i know we're supposed well, yeah, to yeah like that. almost like god is possessing you like he's the yeah. person doing the works and that's kind of where it, we, we, where it comes to like some of this theology i'll read i'm like well so you know they'll say well the holy spirit's doing the works for you i'm like so is that like two persons now so it's like like i'm kind of 
pushed to the back of the car and the Holy Spirit takes the wheel over and he's like, okay, I'm going to drive for a little bit. And then it's like, okay, now you can drive again and just kind of sin. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to do some good works now. And then, uh, okay, now you can come back and then just sin. It's like, I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. There's no cooperation there. That's, that's, yeah, that's the possession. It really is. Yeah, I'm going to let you yeah. go, but I'm going to let you go just for you to, to screw it up. And then I'm going to control yeah. you again. And I'm yeah, going to screw yeah. it up. I'm going to humble you. Uh, yeah. I'm going to let you, you know, yeah, it's like one of he those funny. That. He does let you go knowing that you're going to screw yeah. up, but yeah. Well, well, there's a funny movie out on Nickelodeon. It's like called Fantasy Football where like the the dad is in the NFL. He's kind of washed up and the girl somehow, they're like, they're holding a video game and they both get struck by lightning. And then she's so good at Madden that she ends up controlling him on the field and where basically like he becomes amazing again because she's so good at Madden. And it's almost like that analogy. If, you, if you're out there, you go watch it. It's a, good, it's a good family movie. It's just called Fantasy Football. It's a new Nickelodeon movie. But that's it right there. It's almost like when you're by yourself, you just you suck and you sin. And then when you're, when you're controlled by God, you actually do good. So it's like, but that's, it's kind of weird because it's like, when do you know you're being controlled by God? And that it just is tormenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The puppet master, right. So, I mean, there's a verse that says, you know, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that, which God prepared. It's like, wait a minute. So if God prepared the works, are you going to tell God that those are sinful? I mean, isn't that kind of insulting when you think about it? Like, okay, so God yeah. prepared these works for me. And the end, in the end of the day, I think that's the thing. Just like with exercise, we have to regularly keep ourselves in spiritual shape to do the works God prepares for us to do. Okay, we pray to avoid pride. We fast to make sure we have self-control. Okay, it's not legalism. It's we see the purpose in it so that we remain spiritually fit to do the works God's prepared us for us to do. And these works are for our neighbor. They're to love other people, to draw people to him. So in the end of the day, the more we keep ourselves in spiritual shape through the power of Christ, through you know, because we can cooperate or we don't have to, right? And your buddy says, hey, you want to go to the gym today? It's like, no, nah, I'm going to sit home. Okay. And God doesn't force you, right? He doesn't pull you out of bed in the morning, force, push your face down on the ground and say, pray now. No, we can all freely choose. Mm-hmm. And God loves us so much. And he has so much that we have no idea that we are capable of in him that we miss out on a daily basis of the amazing things that he had. If we would have just took time away and let him comfort us with his peace, fill our hearts with his joy so that we could take that out to the world and show them, hey, guess what? It's not all just about this world. There's something greater. And I'm going to show you it by my, my, my works. Like when, when, when Paul says, I'll show you my faith by my works. There you go. You're showing them your faith by your works. But guess what? You prepared yourself to do those works and to love your neighbor. Yes. Very good stuff. Well, this is good. I think uh, we can probably wrap it up. And yeah. um, we're looking forward to the next chat. So thanks for those who listen and follow us. And feel free to find us on Twitter. Um, please send us DMs or messages. Obviously, we're always welcome to those who might have things that they would want to correct. Um, we are certainly saying that we are not having it all right. Uh, we want to continue to question and we'll continue to walk down this path um, to to ultimately find that freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, so, yeah, we really do appreciate any of the support we've gotten. Thank you for those who've given that to us. So until next time, we will chat again. All right. See you next time.